Well, we are nearing the end of, of a nearly, you know, six-month, I guess, uh, sermon series uh, entitled, We Believe, Doctrines That Make a Difference. And through this, we've been examining the Baptist faith and message, which is the statement of faith for Southern Baptists and for Georgia Baptists. And we've covered a lot of important topics of theology this past year. Uh, Matt will actually be wrapping up the sermon series for us next week. Uh, I have the wonderful, joyful privilege of helping to baptize my niece and nephew in Tennessee next Sunday. So I won't be here. I'll miss out on the, on the lunch. I hate that, but uh, definitely looking forward to that opportunity. And so Matt's going to preach on religious liberty. I thought that's pretty appropriate to end on that one on July the 3rd. Uh, but today, as Ben has said, we're going to talk about the topic of stewardship. And I know usually when you think, oh boy, the preacher's preached about stewardship, he's going to talk about money. And yeah, I will a little, but it's more than just money. The concept of stewardship goes much deeper and further than just our wallets. It is about so much more. It involves the entirety of our lives as followers of Jesus. So ultimately, stewardship isn't a matter of our bank account. It's a matter of our hearts. So let's look at what the Baptist Faith and Message says about stewardship. God is the source of all blessings, temporal and spiritual. All that we have and are, we owe to Him. Christians have a spiritual debtorship to the whole world, a holy trusteeship in the gospel, and a binding stewardship in their possessions. They are therefore under obligation to serve Him with their time, talents and material possessions and should recognize all these as entrusted to them to use for the glory of God and for helping others. According to the scriptures, Christians should contribute of their means cheerfully, regularly, systematically, proportionately, and liberally for the advancement of the Redeemer's cause on earth. Now, as we unpack that, I want to answer two questions. And the first is, what is stewardship? It's not a word we use a whole lot outside of the church, I guess. Stewardship. Well, first, what is a steward? Well, a steward is a servant who manages everything for his master, but who himself owns nothing. All right? So that's your first fill in the blank there. A steward is a servant who manages everything for his master, but who himself owns nothing. So we could say that stewardship then is the responsibility to manage the resources that God has entrusted to us. The first thing about stewardship I want to look at is that stewardship recognizes God's ownership. It recognizes that God is the owner of all things. This goes back to the Garden of Eden. God creates the world, He creates a garden, He creates man and woman, puts them in the garden and entrusts to them not only the tending and care of the garden, but to manage all of the earth. To be a steward of all of the earth and use it to its fullest potential, to help creation to flourish. God created Adam and Eve and commanded them to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and to make good use of it, to have dominion over it. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So every human being, every person, every natural resource, everything in the world belongs to the Lord. We don't own it. It's not ours. It belongs to the Creator. We are managers. We are stewards of it. And a steward's chief responsibility 
His chief purpose in life is to be faithful to His Master. So as followers of Jesus, our purpose in life is no less than to be faithful to Christ and His kingdom and all that God has given to us. God is the owner of all things. He has entrusted resources to us, and that includes our salvation, the gospel, the Holy Spirit, our church, our time and energy, our thoughts, the words that we speak, our houses, our cars, our careers, our education, our talents, our bodies, our friendships and family, the air we breathe, the water we drink, everything we have comes from God and belongs to God. And He's entrusted it to us for a purpose. Now, this is in stark contrast to modern secularism and the idea of self-sufficiency, the, this idea of, of you know, bodily autonomy, this idea of, of individualism, this idea that I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps and I don't need anybody, I can do it all, my way or the highway. This flies in the face of all of that. God's Word says that we enjoy a world we didn't make, we eat of its fruits, We use its resources, we receive its gifts, but we didn't create it. We didn't make any of it. God's Word is very clear. He owns it all, irrespective of how we may feel or what the world may say, and He has entrusted it to our care. That's the first thing. Stewardship recognizes God's ownership of all things. Secondly, stewardship holds us accountable holds us accountable. Jesus tells a parable in Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 16. Then he told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, self, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink. Enjoy yourself. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And Jesus says, That's how it is with one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. God will hold us accountable to what we do with these resources He's entrusted to us. Did we hoard it selfishly? Did we use it just for our power and prestige and pleasure? Did we allow the things of this world to dominate our priorities? Or did we use them responsibly, always aware that our greatest treasures are in heaven? That being blessed with many things on earth is great, but it's better to be rich towards God. In a similar place in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus told another parable about a master who entrusted his estate to three servants. And he went away. And when he returned, he held them to account. Now, 
Two of the servants took what the master gave them and they invested it. They put it to work and it earned a return. And he commended them saying, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. But the lazy servant who hid the money and didn't invest it, didn't put it to work. The master called him a wicked and lazy servant and said, so take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. In other words, we will all stand before Jesus someday and give an account to how we invested the resources He entrusted to us. Did we put them to work for His kingdom purposes? Did we use them wisely? And when we stand before Jesus on that day, will we be found to be among the wise, faithful servants? He will say, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm going to give you even more, come and enjoy the Master's happiness. Or will we be found among the lazy, selfish, wicked servants? Who will we be? Since God owns it all, He will hold us accountable for how we use His blessings. And the reason this matters so much to God is because the way that we use our material goods, the way we use God's blessings, it acts as like a spiritual EKG. There's a a diagnostic aspect to stewardship because it reveals, the way we deal with temporal things reveals our attitude toward eternal spiritual things. And so the third thing about stewardship is it reveals our hearts. It reveals our hearts. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. You can't have two masters. Now Jesus goes on in that chapter to talk about our priorities when it comes to material things. Things like food and clothing and housing. And he says this in verse 31. He says, Do not worry saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. In other words, we shouldn't spend our lives obsessing over and pursuing after material things like those who have no Father in heaven. Because, you see, because our Father knows what we need, because our Father cares for us, we can spend our lives in pursuit of things that matter eternally, on spiritual things. If we prioritize the things of God, if we seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, Jesus promises that our good Father will provide for us the material things that we need. So where we store our treasure, where our focus is, reveals our hearts. Do our hearts reside in heaven or on earth? Are they focused on eternal things or temporary things? Are we focused on ourselves or on our Savior? What we do with our possessions reveals a lot about us. That's why stewardship is such a clear indicator of our level of discipleship, where we are in our walk with Jesus. 
Remember what Jesus said to His disciples. He said in Matthew 16, whoever wants to be My disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow Me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for Me will find it. And He says, what good would it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Sadly, many Christians have never come to realize that God owns it all. That you can't give your life to Jesus and hold part of it back for yourself. It doesn't work that way. As Paul said, you've been bought with a price. You no longer belong to yourself. You belong to Jesus. Surrendering your life to Christ, taking up your cross and following Him means giving it all back to Jesus. That's the picture of stewardship the Bible gives us because Jesus gave His all for us. We give our all for Him as living sacrifices. I'm not my own. I belong to Him now. That is what stewardship is. Stewardship is managing God's resources. Stewardship recognizes God owns it all. Stewardship is a means of accountability that God will judge us by when we stand before Him. And it reveals our hearts. It's a spiritual checkup. So, based on that, the second question I want to answer is, how then do we practice discipleship? How do we take these deep spiritual principles and now live them out on a daily basis? How do we practice this stewardship? Well, the first way is with our time. Our time. Dr. Dupree once asked me a question. It was kind of a trick question. He said, David, he said, what's the first thing God created? Well, light, right? On the first day, right? God said, let there be light. He said, wrong. He says, what's Genesis 1-1 say? I said, in the beginning, in the big inning. Baseball. He created baseball first. I'm just kidding. Bad joke. Although some of you probably think he created baseball first. In the beginning... What's the first thing God created? Time. God created, there can't be a beginning without time, right? And I was like, Dr. Dupree, you got me on that one. That's good. I like that. I will will remember that. God created time first. And time, for the the longest time, was kind of just something that you lived in, right? But then came along the clock, right? We, We had the clock that was made and watches that were made. And we stopped thinking of time as a created presence. Instead, we think of it as a mechanism, as this thing that divides and measures and rules our lives. And in many ways, we've become slaves to our clocks and our calendars, haven't we? Always check in your phone. What time is it? Let me pull up my calendar. What's my calendar say? We become slaves to this. And we feel rushed by time. We go from task to task, appointment to appointment, event to event. And think about the things that cause you the most stress. It's probably lack of time and lack of money, right? We stress about both of these things. How many of you have been late to something this past week? Okay. Who here could use a few more hours of rest? I'm sure every VBS worker's hand is up, right? Yes, after this week, I can use a few more hours of rest. How many of you feel overwhelmed at times by your to-do list? There's so much to do and not enough 
time. And we say that, don't we? We say things like, I need more time, as if God hasn't given us all the time He means for us to have. We talk about making time, as if we have the power to create it. Borrowing time or stealing time, as if we could add a second more to our lives. And we spend time as if it were a commodity. But in reality, we can only submit to time's passing. Live within its flow and receive it as a gift. It's been said that time is your most precious gift because you only have a set amount of it. You can always make more money, but you can't make more time. It's a limited resource. And that's why I think our time is the first and most important area of our stewardship. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Some translations say redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. Making the most of your time. Paul is encouraging us to carefully guard our time and not let any moment, any opportunity pass us by because guess what? You'll never get that moment again. That moment is gone forever. Time is short. It is scarce. No one's making any more of it. You and I all get the same 24 hours a day, don't we? The question is, what do we do with it? Time is always passing. It's always marching on. It doesn't stop or slow for anyone. You can't really save time, buy time, or make time. You can use your time wisely. Jesus says in John 9, 4, As long as it is day, we must do the works of Him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. We must make the use of the moment we have right now. Well, how can we do that? How can we take advantage of the day and not waste our time? Real, three real quick things. One, first we receive the day. Receive the day. Before your feet hit the floor in the morning, just pause and pray and say, God, thank you for this day. Thank you that your mercies are new this morning. Thank you you've given me another sunrise to see, another day to live and to serve you. Receive the day with gladness. What if we treated every day like Christmas morning for a kid and we jumped out of the bed excited and ready to greet the day for what it has in store? Receive the day. Secondly, intend the day. Have a plan for what you're going to do with your time today. Be intentional about the day. What am I going to do today? How am I going to serve Jesus? How am I going to be a better husband or wife, a better mom or dad, a better child? How am I going to, what am I going to go to school and really learn today? Have an intention. Don't just kind of bump along throughout the day listless. Have a plan for the day. And third, protect the day. Because guess what? Good intentions are fine as long as we protect them, aren't we? Aren't they? Because what happens, especially with time, is there are so many time thieves that want to come and steal your time away, emails, phone calls, text messages, social media, television, the endless list of chores, interruptions that will come. We need to have a plan for how we will protect our time that day. And if we do those things, we'll be better stewards of our time. The most important thing, of course, we can do with our time is to give it to God. To spend time every day in worship, in prayer and Bible study, to spend time sharing the gospel with people, 
to spend time making disciples and being discipled, to spend time loving and serving others in Jesus' name. That time is time invested in heaven. That is storing up the treasure of your time in heaven. That is time you will get back in eternity as you enjoy the blessings and the rewards God has in store for you for serving Him. But secondly, it's our talents. We can be stewards of our time. Secondly, of our talents. In 1 Corinthians 12, 18, Paul says that God has placed the parts of the body, he's talking about us as Christians, the church is the body of Christ, we are members of the body of Christ, and he's placed each of us in the body. Some of us are alarms, and some of us are to let us know, wake up. Some of us, you know, we maybe need to wake up. God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as He wanted them to be. So what Paul is saying here is that God has shaped every Christian and placed them in the church right where He wants them to be, like, like jigsaw puzzle pieces. When you're putting together a jigsaw puzzle, each piece has its one place that it will go. And each and every one of us are shaped uniquely to be placed within the body of Christ where God would have us to be to serve Him in our own unique way. Now, sadly, many Christians don't realize that they've got a unique place in the kingdom of God and His work in the world. They don't understand that God has called us to the greatest task there ever was to be a part of His great rescue plan for humanity. He's given us such a vital job, such an important task. And not only has He commissioned us to this great task, He's equipped us for this task. He has given us everything we need to be disciple makers. He's given us everything we need to be fully functional members of His church. In the Great Commission in Matthew 28, Jesus promises us His presence and His authority. In Acts 1, in the Great Commission, He promises us His power as the Holy Spirit comes upon us. And by the Holy Spirit, we carry the presence and the power and the authority of Jesus everywhere we go. Now, here at First Baptist Church, we use an acronym that's not uh, original to us. A lot of churches use this. And it's this acronym of the word SHAPE. And that stands for spiritual gifts, heart passions, abilities, personality, and life experiences. In short, everything that makes you, you, comes from God. He has crafted you and shaped you into the person you are today. And He's made you for a purpose. And if you're a Christian, the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the moment His Holy Spirit comes upon you, at that instant you have spiritual gifts. Through the Holy Spirit, God gifts you in ways to serve the church, to build up the body of Christ, to help you and other people mature into the image of Christ. He's given you these spiritual gifts. But He's also given you passions, burdens that you have for a particular cause, a particular people group, a particular thing that matters more to you than maybe it does to the people around you. God has given you that because He wants to use you in that area. He wants to use you to make a difference in those people's lives. Your abilities, skills, talents, whether they're natural born or something that you've learned and and developed over the years, Again, that's something God has given you, not just for your enjoyment, not just for using at work to make money. He has given you that to be a part of His kingdom work in the world. He wants to use those talents, those abilities and skills 
to carry out the gospel and to build up the church. And then there's your unique personality and life experiences. And that, just those two alone make each and every one of us unique, doesn't it? Our personalities, our life experiences are so unique to us. And again, those are ways that God has molded us and shaped us to serve His purposes. And one of our greatest tasks is to discover, hone, and put to use the way that God has shaped us. Who He has made us to be for His glory, to further the gospel, to edify our fellow believers, to serve others in Jesus' name. How are you doing at using your shape? How are you using your gifts, your talents, your life experiences, your training and skills? How are you using that for the kingdom? God will hold you accountable to that someday. Listen, there are so many ways. One of the great things about church, one of the great things about being on mission for God, one of the great things about ministering in our community is there are about as many different ways of doing it as there are people in this room right now. There is a place for you to serve. There is a way that you can put your experience, your perspective, your talents and gifts to work. You've got to explore that. And we want to help you find that place of service. We can be stewards of our time, stewards of our talents, and then stewards of God's tithe. Now, we've already heard this in our Old Testament reading. Ben has talked about this, but I want us to look a little bit deeper at Malachi chapter 3. And we're going to actually go back one extra verse and begin in verse 7. God is speaking through the prophet Malachi to the people of Israel, and He says, Since the day of your ancestors you have turned from My statutes, you have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of armies. You ask, how can we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. How do we rob you, you ask? By not making the payments of the tenth and the contributions. You are suffering under a curse. Yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse so there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not ruin the produce of your land and your vine in your field will not fail to produce fruit, says the Lord of armies. Then all the nations will consider you fortunate for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of armies. Now in verse 7, God calls the people to repentance. He says, return to me. He's calling them to repent. Not just in word, not just in feeling, but in concrete actions. And what are they to repent of? What are they to turn away from? In verse 8 he tells us, from robbing God. He says, you've been robbing me. So what does repentance then look like? Well, you stop robbing God first, and you give back to Him what is rightfully His. And what is that? It's the tithe, the tithe, the tenth. Now, of all the charges that God brings to His people here in the book of Malachi, I think it's interesting that He points to the tithe as a sign of repentance. Why? What's so significant about the tithe? Well, first we need to understand what a tithe is not. A tithe is not a tax. A tithe is not our leftovers. 
And that, that's actually the attitude that Malachi is preaching against here. The people were not bringing to God the best of their produce. They were not bringing to God the best of their labor. They were sending Him their leftovers, the sick animals that they couldn't sell in the market. That's what they were giving to God. The law commanded people to bring God his, the first fruits, not the leftovers. Tithe was also not a bribe to get God to do what we want Him to do. And it's not a fundraiser for the church. And it's not a suggestion. In Deuteronomy chapter 14, God commands, Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. And that's what tithe means. Tithe simply means the tenth part, or ten percent. And the first time we see the tithe is all the way back in Genesis 14. When Abraham has, has had a battle, he's defeated all these wicked kings, and he brings to Melchizedek, the priest king of Salem, he brings to him a tithe of his spoils. So it goes all the way back to Genesis. But what most Christians want to know is, all right, we're in the New Testament now, David. We're not under law, we're under grace. You're talking old covenant stuff. Isn't tithing kind of legalistic? Do we as Christians still need to tithe? Listen, those are good questions. And I want to give you just a few brief reasons why Christians should still consider giving back to God a tenth of all that He has blessed us with. First is that tithing does help us to remember and acknowledge with a grateful heart that all that we have comes from God and belongs to God. That first thing about stewardship we looked at, it acknowledges God's ownership. Tithing helps us to remember that. Leviticus 27.30 says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. So tithing helps us to remember that it all belongs to God. Secondly, When we tithe, we confirm God's Word. Now, in Malachi 3.10, we find the only place in all of the Bible where God tells us to test Him. Everywhere else, it warns us not to put the Lord to the test, but God says, test me in this. So when we faithfully tithe, we are giving an opportunity to confirm what God's Word says, and that's that God is faithful. And He's faithful to us first. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were God's enemies, Jesus died for us. He was faithful to us first. And when we step out in faith and we tithe, God says He will prove even more faithful to us. And He will confirm His Word. He will not let us go hungry when we are good stewards of His resources. And third, when we tithe, we are supporting and participating in Christ's mission through the church. In Malachi 3, when God says that they should tithe so there will be food in His house, He's talking about supporting the ministry of the priests, the Levitical ministry of the temple with the sacrifices and the offerings in that worship. He's saying, you bring in the tithe to support that work. Well, today, as Christians, our tithe also brings resources into God's house. Without people tithing, we couldn't do vacation Bible school. We wouldn't be able to do what we did last week and to touch those lives and to reach those children. We can't support the work of of missionaries on the field around the world without the tithe. We can't be in this space. Nice and air-conditioned, isn't it? 
without the tithe. It does bring resources. And when God's people don't tithe, it hinders His work in the world. But the final point I want to make about the tithe is that it's the bare minimum for followers of Jesus. It's the bare minimum. Listen, we are called to a higher level of giving than 10%. We are to be motivated by love, not the law. And Jesus is our example. Did Jesus just give 10% of Himself for us? No. He gave His all. He laid down His all for us. And He calls us to lay down our lives in self-denial and to take up that cross of sacrificial service every day. We are called far beyond just a legalistic, obligatory 10%. And as Ben said in the children's sermon, we are to do all of this with a grateful, cheerful attitude. Paul says, and we heard this in our New Testament reading, he says, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. In other words, Paul's saying, you know, we shouldn't twist people's arms. We shouldn't try to guilt people. We shouldn't. You give what you've determined in your heart to give, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, not because of something you're supposed to do. He says, God loves a cheerful giver. We are to give cheerfully, gratefully, excitedly, willingly, giving it to Jesus. You know, I think about the disciples and that little boy, and they brought to Jesus their lunch, their five loaves and two fish. And they gave it to Jesus, excited and anxious to see, what could Jesus do with my meager lunch? And wasn't there, weren't their minds blown away when Jesus took that and fed thousands of people? Maybe you feel that way. David, I just don't have a lot to give. I don't have a lot of time to give. I don't have a lot of... I don't, I don't feel like I'm very talented. I don't, I, don't, you know, I don't have a lot of money to give. You know what? If you give what you have... Think about that widow and her two mites. All these people putting all this money, making a big show of giving their offering. This widow came in and put her two little... Didn't even equal a penny in the offering. And Jesus praised her because she gave all that she had. You may not feel like you've got much to give. You may feel like you're that little boy. All I have, Jesus, are some loaves of bread and some fish. And they're kind of stale and the fish stinks. It's all i got, Lord. Jesus says, give it to me. And I will do more with it than you could possibly imagine. And we will be blessed. The last thing I want to say is our treasure. And this kind of ties into what I just said. That somebody said stewardship is not a classroom exercise in fractions. It's a homework assignment in total living. So that tithe is just the beginning of a life of stewardship. We worship a God who is generous, who's a giving God, and if we're going to reflect His image, we must be generous as well. And since the tithe belongs to God already, we're not really giving God the tithe, we're giving it back to God. We're bringing back to Him what already belongs to Him. The question is, what do we do with the 90% that He so generously lets us keep? Are we, that's our treasure. Are we going to take our treasure and just set it on earth and invest it and spend it in earthly things? Or are we going to put some of it aside for a heavenly dividend? How are we going to use the resources that God has given us in a wise way? That's not saying we can't do things to enjoy it, but we don't waste it. We'd be smart about it. We'd be wise about it. And we look for ways to be generous 
beyond that 10%? How can I give to help someone in need when, they, when, when I'm made aware of a need? How can I bless my neighbor, my coworker? How can I help build up my family and make my family stronger? And yes, how can I take from that 90% and give above and beyond that tithe to bless the ministry of the church, to give to missions around the world, to help feed the hungry, to help support a crisis pregnancy center, to help minister to foster care families in our area. You know, Georgia Baptists in particular do so much to help women with post and prenatal care, to help women in crisis when they're pregnant in, in crisis situations. We, we support safe homes in Augusta to help women who are escaping abusive situations. We support foster care in our community. We did a wonderful one-day fun day last year and hope to do another one this year to minister to foster care families. There are ways that we can give and serve to bless these people in need. That's what we do with our treasure. That's the challenge for us today. And remember, God, you can't outgive God. God will bless you abundantly. I'm not saying you're going to get rich if you, if you give. I'm just saying that God is going to honor and He's going to bless you when you hold on to the things of this world lightly and loosely. And when you have a heavenly perspective. The Baptist faith and message also speaks to one other deep reality of stewardship I want to end on. As 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, God has committed or entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. That's the gospel. Listen, as Christians, God has given us His good news that yes, while we are sinners who deserve to die and be separated from God, God loved us so much that He sent His one and only Son to take our guilt and shame upon Himself and to bleed and die on the cross and rise victorious from the dead so that we could be saved. So that our sins could be washed away. So that we could be given a second chance and have eternal life with Him. We have been entrusted with that message with good news. And what we do with that wonderful good news, what we do with Jesus is ultimately the thing that God will hold us to account for the most. Listen, the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Maybe for somebody here right now, this is your day of salvation. Today is the day you need to trust your heart and life to Jesus Christ. He is knocking at your door. Guess what? He won't always be there knocking on your door. Today is the day of salvation. Will you redeem the time? Will you make the most of this opportunity and come and give your heart and life to Jesus Christ? Fellow Christians, those of us that have done that, we still have been given this message of reconciliation. What will we do with it? Are we going to take that light and hide it under a bushel? The answer is no. We're going to let it shine. What are you going to do with your testimony that God has given you? What are you going to do with the opportunities and the relationships that God has brought into your life to, to have a gospel conversation with someone? Are you going to squander that or are you going to invest in the gospel message and share it with other people? I know some of you are... You know, David just makes me so nervous. But you know what? Literally, it's a matter of life and death. People's eternal lives are hanging in the balance. Don't you think that that's worth being a little uncomfortable over? Don't you think that's worth risking coming across as a little bit awkward if it saves someone's life eternally? What will we do with this message of reconciliation?
Maybe this morning you need to come to this altar and you just need to say, God, forgive me. Forgive me for the time that I've wasted. Forgive me for sitting on my talents and abilities and my skills and knowledge and not putting it to work for Your kingdom. Forgive me for being stingy and thinking only of myself and how I want to spend my money and my time and my resources on me and not thinking about how I can use it to bless other people and further the gospel and bring glory to Your name. Maybe God is calling you to recommit your life to serving Him through your stewardship. Maybe God is calling you to not with this church. Say, David, this is where God would have me to invest my family as we worship and serve and grow in the kingdom of God. We want to do it here. Whatever God is saying to you this morning, I pray you won't let this opportunity pass, but that you'll step out in faith and obedience. Would you stand and pray with me? Father, Lord, we don't deserve anything that you've given us. We don't deserve any of it. But you are such a generous God, such a gracious God who loves us and who blesses us. Every good and perfect gift comes from you. God, forgive us for having a a mindset of scarcity and a fear of of wanting to, to cling to what we have out of a fear that it will go away and we'll never have it again. God, help us instead to be filled with faith and trust in You, to trust in Your provision and Your care as our good Father, as our good Shepherd, and that we can give freely. And we can live lightly. And we can experience Your power working through us in ways that would blow our minds. God, all we have to give of ourselves is just some loaves and some fish. But Lord, You can take that and You can bless it and multiply and use it in so many ways, to touch so many lives. God, forgive us for our short-sightedness. Forgive us for our self-centeredness. Help us to be better stewards of all You've given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.